Lord, we acknowledge your majesty in our midst, and we're so grateful for you. We give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. I noticed Doug Wright back there. Stand to your feet, Doug. We're glad you're back, brother. Is your bride with you? I can't see whether she's there or not, but we're glad to have you back from Africa. And uh, God is doing so much around the earth right now. Um, David and Barbara Colk, where are you? I saw you. Stand up. I just want to embarrass you for a minute. Go ahead, stand up. Stand up. Okay. Sit back down. Michael, would you come and give us a Power Camp update? The reason I had David and Barbara stand is some years ago, the Lord laid the vision of Power Camp upon uh, their hearts, and they began uh, that ministry and the ball rolling, and uh, God sovereignly arranged so that others would come around that and uh, finish the course. That You know, one sows and another waters. We don't always reap. But we give and we sow into the kingdom. Michael, give us a little update about Power Camp uh, 214. Well, it was a uh, wonderful, wonderful summer looking back. Um, we have some staff over here, I think. Let me, see, let me see some hands if you were a staff member. We got a few of us up here. All right. I see a couple back here, too. <laughs> um, you know, it's with some trepidation I share with you numbers because it's really not about numbers. It's about people. You know, people are what matter to God. And, and yet I was, um, I was thinking this morning, I got up early and I was watching the flooding rain and looking out the window, and I was thinking, what happens when the, the kingdom of God intersects the life of one person? And then the ripple effect, you know when you throw a rock into, the, into a pond and the ripples that go out? You know, I was sort of considering that, and I was thinking in, in our own family, um, this is my dad if you don't know it, Pastor Steve, but Pastor Steve uh, came to Christ in his early 20s, comes home. Um, his parents end up coming to Christ, serving in a church. His brother comes to Christ and becomes a pastor. His kids are now in ministry. A and I, I guess the point here is we have no idea what a little person giving their heart and their life to Christ, what, what rippling uh, circles and what effects are going to be made for eternity. You know, I had somebody ask me, do you think all the conversions were real? I have no idea. But, but what if one of them was? Or what if 10 or 20? I mean, I mean what if these little people, like the girl, I, I read a letter a couple weeks ago, and she went home and she led her mom to Christ. You know, that is... That's the kingdom at work. So, um, sort of in summary, we had 186 kids give their life to Christ. And we give all glory to God. That's nothing any one of us did. But together, I am convinced that together, through your prayers and your giving that we went out and, and really saw this happen. So a big thank you to you all for your prayers, for your giving, and to our staff. And the Lord was faithful. He showed up. 186 lives, 186 smiles. I mean, I just can't imagine the ripple effects in eternity. 
We did uh, six weeks of camp. That was a week uh, less than we did last year. We're also making a video. Jacob Bernard is. I don't know if he's here today, but he's finishing up a video. We'll show you in a few weeks once that's done. Um, we gave out 114 scholarships. Isn't that cool? 114 scholarships. Praise Jesus. The registration numbers were very similar to last year. We were under 1,000. Uh, we were sitting right there. Um, so, but with one week less of camp, our weeks were much larger. Our biggest week this year was 202 kids, whereas last year was 128, 130, something like that. So the Lord's just moving, you know. And one of my favorite things, uh, before I, I turn it back over here to Pastor Steve, is the discipleship that's happening with our staff. You know, the kids are coming to Christ, and I, I love that. And I'm, I'm believing by faith what that's going to do in the kingdom. But the discipleship among our staff is phenomenal. I want to read you a note that I got. You know, sometimes you hear the, the bad stuff, you know that? And you don't always hear the good stuff. And I, I got a note in, this week in my uh, email, and I shut my door and just sat there and cried. So went, Lord, thank you. So this is what it says. Hello, Michael. I just wanted to say thank you. And by the way, I've changed all the names. I just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for allowing me to be part of such an amazing family slash staff this summer. You have no idea how much God has molded me and shaped me into a bigger and better person in him. I said it to Emily at the dinner the other night, we had a staff thank you dinner, that God knows what he's doing when he places people in your life. And even though I said it to her, the same can be said for you and all of Power Camp. When I came, my interview with you and Judd, uh, came to my interview with you and Judd, my life was a little upside down, and I had been without a job for seven months and had been applying everywhere and nothing. My family lives with me in a two-bedroom apartment, and my mom was the only source of income for a while. Everything that could have gone wrong was going wrong and ten times worse. But little did I know that God had in store for me here at Myrtle Grove God met me at power camp and everything I had been praying for and more. God provided. I am still overwhelmed at the many things he gave me, both physically and spiritually, during my time at power camp. Like I said before, you have no idea how much power camp changed my life and my walk with God. I know camp is for the kids, but in more ways than one, it was for me, too. Power camp is exactly that. Power, in all caps. I started off as a big empty cup waiting to be filled, and I left overflowing with no room to contain it all. I love you guys, and I pray that God continues to bless each and every one of you. Next year is going to be even better. Isn't that cool? You know, we do power camp because lives get changed, and I just want to say a big thank you to you all for your support. and. Uh, a big hallelujah and praise Jesus. Pastor Steve. We, in fact, had no idea of what we had until about three years ago the Lord said to us, what's in your hand? And the answer to that was, a number of things but one of the big things in our hand was power camp and the Lord said use it to bless the community and we have made a conscious decision to give away more to scholarship more to, to give um, um, 
a certain amount off of, of anyone who asks for it. You see, God has in his heart the desire to bless people. And it is that notion then that, we want to, that we're looking at this morning and have been looking at with looking at the words of Jesus um, through the Sermon on the Mount. God desires to bless. In fact, as I was praying this morning and looking out through the rain from my window, I began to see the faces of so many of you. And I began to see you just a little bit, I think, as God sees you. And it was very overpowering and humbling and encouraging. So this morning, um, see if we can tee up our little slides here. Turn to Matthew chapter uh, 5. There we go. Matthew chapter 5. Whoop, there we went. <clears throat> We're going to look this morning at this text, and it's Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. Um, and God, as we're... As we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at six contrasts throughout the fifth chapter. But these contrasts answer the question, what does the kingdom heart really look like? Now, if you've been with us for the past few days, you cannot interpret correctly the Sermon on the Mount without beginning at Matthew 4.17. I didn't put the reference there, but that's where... Jesus says that the kingdom is available to everyone. And the invitation was to repent, and that means to change your mind and to change your heart, to turn from sort of a self-orientation and begin to see yourself in light of God's present kingdom by changing your mind and yielding your heart and at that point, God begins His rule in our life. And as God begins to rule in our life, to that measure, the kingdom of God has come upon the earth. So the kingdom is about changing one heart at a time through relationship with Jesus, the covenant man, the God-man. And any time a person comes to Jesus and changes their mind about how they see life, how they see God, and how they see other people, the kingdom has made a beachhead. Now, last week, or a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the invitation being to ordinary people, just like you and just like me. And in fact, the kingdom of God did not come to specifically religious people, the religious elite or special people. So if you think, well, there's nothing special about me, that qualifies you for the kingdom. In fact, the spiritual elite, the religious elite, specifically the scribes and the Pharisees, were kept out of the kingdom by virtue of walking in their self-righteousness. So as we begin to look, this is a quick summary 
of what the kingdom heart then begins to look like. And as you read through uh, the Scriptures in Matthew chapter 5, let me give you an overview and then go back specifically to verses 21 and 22 that have to do with anger, contempt, and destructive uh, words toward another person. But Jesus here begins to um, contrast the keeping of the law, or what he calls the old way, uh, with the kingdom heart, which is the new way that he began to bring. Repent, for the kingdom of God is now among you. And as people said yes to the king and repented and changed their mind and hearts, the kingdom began to rule in their heart. But Jesus then begins at verse, uh, well, let's look here. I don't think I put the actual verse, but verse 21 is the first contrast. And we'll deal with that in just a couple of minutes. Jesus said, you have heard it said in times of old, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, don't be angry, don't harbor contempt, or don't verbally desecrate another person. You've heard it said in times of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. And by this time, we have religious elites strutting their chest. I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery. And Jesus said, put away all fantasized lust from your heart. If you want to see that, that's verse uh, 27. The next one is at verse 31. Jesus said, you've heard it said, if you're going to divorce, give your wife who you are separating from a pink slip, so to speak. Moses allowed for that. But I say to you, don't even practice divorce because God's made marriage in heaven. You've heard it said in times of old about oaths. Verse 33 you shall not swear falsely or shall not perform your, you shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say, don't use any verbal manipulation toward other people. We'll look at this a little bit later as we go forward. But you see, if you, when people say, God said, all of a sudden I have no room for thinking or deciding for myself. You see, it's as if we swear by something higher than ourselves, often to manipulate people. So you've heard it said, don't, don't swear, and if you swear, keep your oath. But I say, don't verbally manipulate anybody. And then he said, you've heard it said in times of old, an eye for an eye and a tooth for, the, or for a tooth. But I say, don't harm, but rather help. And then finally, Jesus said, don't, you've heard it said in times of old, Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love and bless every person around you. Now, understandably, by this time, all of us are sort of shrinking in our seats. Because nobody can fulfill the law. That's why Jesus came to fulfill it. And yet, it's the, it's, Jesus is taking us from... Um, uh, obeying the law as the source, and he moves us to the heart 
of obeying the law through the, it's the course of our life. It's not the source of our righteousness because I cannot murder and still be guilty of anger and contempt and, and verbally desecrating another person. So Jesus is moving us from the, the law as the source of our righteousness to the course of our righteousness. It's the spirit of the law that Jesus is interested in. The Pharisees understood the, the, the legality of the law. So it's clear that the substance of Jesus' teaching is the rightness of a heart that's been touched by the king. How be it immature, how be it um, uh, not fully developed, it's when a man or a woman come to Jesus as king and surrender and change our mind, allowing him to change our heart, that now the seeds of the kingdom of God, Jesus himself by the Spirit, takes up residence and lives in our lives. So he's obviously teaching the rightness of the kingdom um, heart. Now Jesus is illustrating uh, the heart that belongs to those whose lives truly flow in this kingdom issue. He's, what he's looking at in the rest of chapter 5 is what will it actually look like in practice if I have been touched by the king. If the kingdom of God is real and has come among us and has impacted the heart of a woman or the heart of a man, what will it look like in my life day in and day out? That is the issue that Jesus is now teaching to the multitudes that were the least likely to succeed. The poor and the hungry and the destitute and the spit upon and the downtrodden and the kicked by the, the powers that be. The kingdom flowing through the heart of a man and a woman. The law is not the source of our righteousness but is the course of the heart uh, that has been captured by the kingdom. So that's what we're going to look at and as we do so let's now look at what Jesus said about uh, murder in chapter 5 verse 22 and 23 you've heard it said in times of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment in fact I think I put it up here for you would be in danger of the judgment but I say to you whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger now notice this in danger in danger of judgment whoever says to his brother Raka I'll explain that in a minute will be in, in danger again, uh, which means empty you empty-headed, will be in danger of the council, and whoever says you fool will be in danger of the hell of fire. Oh, yeah, woo. Jesus takes this stuff seriously. But I would suggest to you that many of us, because we don't murder, excuse ourselves and verbally desecrate human beings that are of immense worth before God because they look differently than we do, they act differently than we do, they believe differently than we do, and somehow we justify our anger, sometimes our hatred, and then our contempt, and then our verbally desecrating words as we fire it out at those people. Now, the Pharisees um, said, if I don't murder, that I'm okay, I've kept the law. And you see how Jesus was looking through their sham 
and seeing, yes, you've kept the letter of the law, but you violate the spirit of the law because there's anger and murder and contempt in your heart. And I would suggest that's how God sees every one of us. He sees the heart. And that's what He's interested in redeeming. That's why the prophets say when you come to Jesus, He gives you a new heart. He takes out that old stony, that granite heart and gives you a tender heart, a heart of, of, of sympathy and empathy, a heart that is able to connect with other people, not just be, be religious. So the Pharisees, by not murdering, were simply standing in their in their self-justified self-righteousness. I haven't murdered. I've kept the law. And if we're not careful, you and I can fall into the same yeast of the scribes and the Pharisees, and it will permeate the entire lumps of our lives and families and relationships. And we, this self-righteousness becomes a poisonous brew out of the cauldron of the flesh of man that destroys the kingdom of God among us. Jesus said, if you have anger and contempt and verbally desecrate a person, you stand condemned before the law. That's what it meant when it, it said uh, before the law or, or um, uh, in order to, in, if, you, if you're angry in order to, you, you will be um, guilty before the law. You'll be taken before the council. You'll stand in judgment of, of hell fire. He's simply saying that our anger and contempt and desecrating of people stand to condemn us because we are men and women of the kingdom. So he's essentially teaching the multitudes, the rabble, that the kingdom was meant for and it was open to everybody. The invitation was to come to the commoners, and he was saying, this is about a heart, and you don't have to walk like the scribes or the Pharisees. You don't have to keep the law. What you need to do is allow the king to come into your heart and begin to make the transformations that he wants to do. It's really sort of effortless. If you yield and surrender the mind, which is repentance, and the heart to a God who so desperately wants to love on you and upon me. Now, anger, this little word anger, in the Greek is uh, orgizo. That's kind of a transliteration of it. And it just means a strong passion which spontaneously arises when my will is crossed. Come on. When your will is crossed. You see, I want my life to go this way, and when my will gets crossed, or when it's impeded, by anyone, I get orgizo, angry. Why? Because my flesh still wants it my way. You can see it in the earliest developmental stages of little children. Mine. Take that from me and I will pitch a fit and stomp my feet on the ground and I'll cry and I'll, make, I'll embarrass you. I will manipulate you before your friends in the grocery store because their will has been crossed. You see, that's a picture of us. Now what Jesus is saying is, is that this anger in and of itself is not necessarily wrong. And I'm now targeting Ephesians 4.26 where it says, Be angry but don't sin. You see, God has given us the capacity to recognize when our will is crossed. That's the point at which I need to decide, will I, have, will I assert my kingdom 
or will I allow the kingdom of God to be demonstrated? Now, where does that have to go? It has to go to the cross, doesn't it? You see, Paul wasn't saying anything other than what Jesus was saying. He's just saying God's given anger, but utilize it so that you don't miss the mark or God's intended purpose for having given you that anger. Bring the redemption of the kingdom to bear through your, your anger rather than destroying people by it. So anger in and of itself isn't wrong, uh, as demonstrated by Ephesians 4.26. But what you do with your anger, what you allow for it to become is very detrimental. Anger which is indulged. Can you say indulged? Indulged. Anger that's indulged. Now why would anybody indulge anger? Because it just feels good in my flesh. I indulge it because I think I'm right. I indulge it because my ego has been wounded. You hurt me. And I'll show you. You see, this is a, indulgence is a choice and always has an element of self-righteousness in it and a wounded ego. Show me an angry person and I'll show you a person whose ego has been bruised, often repeatedly. Now, Anger then indulged or embraced often becomes something else and something worse, which is contempt. Contempt is worse than anger because it seeks to degrade and demean the other person. I can be, um, I can be angry and, and use my anger in productive ways... To, to, to get before God and tell Him what I think. Sometimes that's not pretty. But God's okay. He can take that. Uh, I, I can begin to make a choice to speak truth and do it in a loving way. Or I can embrace the anger. I can indulge my anger. Um, I, can, uh, I can keep hold of it and it often becomes contempt. And contempt is worse than anger because it seeks to degrade or demean another person. Now that's where uh, Jesus said, whoever says uh, to, let's read it specifically, um, whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. In danger. Now what, what is this Raka? We don't, it's Aramaic. It's from the language that Jesus uh, probably spoke, not the Koine or common Greek of the time. And raka, it is felt by most, um, comes from the guttural sound that one makes uh, when they clear their throat. Before they spit. I'll do my best. Now everybody just said, well, that's gross, that's too much information. That's what the word means. So what Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say whoever is angry and then takes his anger to the next step of content and begin to clear their throat so as to spit on another person, you're in danger, my friend. 
That's what Jesus was saying to the masses. That raka comes from the sound of clearing one's throat. Now, anger becomes contempt when it desires to hurt and degrade with words in order to verbally destroy another person. Now, I've listed a few words like that, some of the lesser um, socially, less than socially acceptable, but not the worst words that you could put up here. And it would be like, you twerp, or you uh, twit, you dork. How about you nerd? Now, you know, there's computers and all that stuff, and we, they've taken on kind of a, a veneer of okayness in, because we're so desensitized to the desecration of people. Uh, how about you, 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 you idiot? Now, from there, it cycles downhill very rapidly. When anger is, is um, embraced, and when I walk in self-righteousness because my wounded ego, I've been hurt, and now I embrace it, and I let it sort of work in me, it becomes contempt that often then goes to words like twerp and dork and idiot, etc. Now, contempt becomes verbal desecration when laden with sexual, racial, or culturally destructive language. When people say stuff like your mother, sexual language about your mother. When people say um, hate speech that has racial overtones. You know, I start thinking about it in every era that even I'm aware of. There are, there are these cultural or racial words that we've used. I'm thinking now out of the World War II era, and the Germans were called Krauts. You think that was an endearing term? Probably not. You know, there's a Wiener Schnitzel, and there's a Sauerbraten, and I've been raised in a Germanic community, so we love sauerkraut. But to call someone a kraut, oh, where's Al Samino? <laughs> He's not German, but yeah, a, 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 Italian or Sicilian. I mean, there's all kinds of, of words that we use in the Vietnam era. That's a wop. Thank you. In the Vietnam era, they were in the, the enemy. They were gooks. And then if you go a little bit further back before the war really got cranked up, the, the Japanese and, and the Koreans, and it just goes on and on and on. And the point here is not to spend a lot of time looking at the words that we use, but how we desecrate human beings through uh, somehow culturally acceptable terms. Listen, because everybody else is doing it. It must be okay if everybody calls them gooks or wops or Polacks or krauts and on and on the list goes. Now, these, this, this verbal desecration that happens laden with sexuality or racial or culturally destructive language has the purpose then of demeaning or hating or separating or pushing another person away from us. Why? Because us, we, we are the privileged people. 
We are, I am, the person that knows best about everything in my entire universe and everything revolves around me. That, beloved, is exactly what Jesus was speaking to. When that poison is in the heart of a person, it always is a brew that destroys yourself and other people as well and makes you liable to judgment. Now, demeaning, hating, separating, or pushing away, in other words, you don't have the right to exist. (laughs) Do you know there are nations right now that are saying to other nations... You don't have the right to exist. And if we get the right capability, and if the nations of the world seem like it's a good bet on our part to pull the trigger on that which will annihilate you, you see, that's where this thing goes. It's, it's when will men and women... Now, I, I can't get into the ethics of when is war just. I don't know. But I know the words of Jesus, so that every man and every woman need to uh, work through the ethical situations in their own lives. What happens if someone breaks into your house, kicks in the door, and pulls a weapon on you and your children or your wife? You see, it becomes real difficult real fast. I could not tell you what you should do. But I'm afraid that I would be forced with deeply grave ethical issues if a man broke into my house and was about to rape my wife or one of my granddaughters. That would put me in a very precarious and difficult position because I know the words of Jesus. But it seems to me that there are times when Jesus said, we'll get to him, if anyone slaps you, turn the cheek and let him slap the other side. I could probably do that under some circumstances. (laughs) Because I'm a man. I am subject to all those passions that you are. But I would hope that I would be able to take one and turn the other cheek and take two. It doesn't say what to do when the third one comes. (laughs) Now, you you see, this this becomes a class in ethics very quickly because, you know, where is the line? What What you need to be aware of is you can't justify your actions at the first impulse by indulging your anger and allowing it to become contempt and then verbal desecration. If that doesn't work, you pull out your 38. (laughs) Hello? Okay, so basically we're saying that you don't have the right to exist. When anger becomes hatred and contempt toward a person and that contempt then becomes Uh, words of verbal desecration, you have said to them, you don't have the right to exist. Now, C.S. Lewis, most of you know him, uh, has profound thinker, and he wrote in his little 
essay called The Inner Ring. It says this, In all men's lives between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the inner circle, the inner ring, and terror of being left outside. You get that? What he was saying is that one of the most fundamental needs within the human experience is to be appreciated and accepted and on the inside. What anger and contempt and verbal desecration does is it separates people and pushes them to the outside of the pale. We're in, you're out. And we're going to keep you out. And hence the cycle continues. Now, to belong is a basic need in the spiritual nature of every human being. Now, anger, when it is indulged, becomes contempt, and then malicious words destroy the core of what it is to be human. It destroys the fact that you're accepted by God. What was the message that Jesus came when he began the Sermon on the Mount? Repent and turn and change your mind, for the kingdom of God is now yours. The God who made everything around you has done everything so that now you can come on in. And when men and women are touched by that kingdom, when the kingdom spirit, the spirit of God lives within us, when the king is in resident in our heart, it begins to change how we interact with God and with ourselves and with other people. Now, Jesus is giving us in this sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached, a revelation of the preciousness of every human being. Think of those people that you don't like very much. Think of those races that you wish just weren't around. Maybe not all of them, but, you know, just think. I'm not saying there isn't good reason to have fear and want to lash out in your flesh. But think about all of those people who are dissed by you, by us. And the words that we use in order to diss them. You see, the kingdom expresses acceptance to all people. So that when I accept and treasure those around me, I see them as God created them and designed them in His eternal purpose. You see, you and I are men and women of the king, or at least we say so. What Jesus is saying is it's time to suck it up and start walking like kids of the king. And when somebody hits you, turn your other cheek. If somebody wants your cloak, give them your coat also. You know what? You're not going to take any of this stuff out of this world. Job said, naked I came in and naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we act like our building bigger and better barns is what life is all about. I mean, after all, those who have the most toys at the end wins, right? Now, love really is the great commandment. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 22. You know, uh, what is the greatest of all the commandments? What's it come down to, Jesus? Well, the first one is love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And beloved, it never starts with your love. It always starts with God's love for you. And in response to His love for you, then we begin to say, God, is it really true that you love me the way you say you love me? 
And then I respond to him by beginning small overtures at first of taking steps of adoring him and loving him and worshiping him, not just through music, but through how we live our life day in and day out. Love is the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is just like it. They're piggyback. They're hand in glove. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. On these two hinge all the law and all the prophets. I think there's a standard by which we can begin to evaluate our kingdom heart. How much do I really love other people that are different than I am? How much do I really love those you fill in the blank? How much do I really love that you see, love really is the fulfillment of the law, Romans 13, 8. Love fulfills the law. The royal law is fulfilled in this. Love God and love your neighbor. By then, love and accepting human, humanness, because God does, and forgiveness, we demonstrate the reality of God's kingdom in us and when we do that, we will likely draw our adversary into that kingdom. What did I just say? I said, when you walk in love and acceptance, and by the way, verse 23 says, begins with the word therefore. And Pastor Jim's going to share on that next week. Therefore, when you sense anger in your heart, when you sense contempt coming out of you, when you sense words to destroy and desecrate people, therefore, do something. And if you read verse 23 and following, what you do is you forgive because that's what God has done to me. That's what He's done to you. And Matthew 18 says, How often? Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a king that called all of his servants and forgave them all of their debt. You can read that in the latter part of Matthew chapter 18. Love, acceptance, and forgiveness demonstrates the work of the kingdom. And then I'll end with this. Worship team, why don't you come back up if you would. We want to close with just a few moments of silence and, and then with worship. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God. Yeah, worship team, come on up. I'm finished. I, I didn't. I didn't. I meant what I said. Y'all come on up. Y'all come on up here. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep on going. I know what y'all thought. <laughs> I've done that before. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. You see, there's beloved. What I'm saying to you is what Jesus said to you. If you will seek Him as the King if you will allow His rule and His reign to begin to be foremost in your heart, He'll take care of everything else. All the things we scrap over, we fight over, we whine about, all those people we get down on, if we seek Him first and His righteousness becomes ours by virtue of Him living in us, He takes care of everything. Now some of you are here this morning, and like me, you have fallen into times of 
anger that you didn't know how to clean up. And the way you clean up anger is to just share it with God. God, I'm angry. And I have been allowing my anger to ooze out of my pores. And I've seen it with the words that I've used. And God, I'm sorry. I don't know what to do about it. But God, I believe that you are king and are able to assert your rule and change my heart. Beloved, when that happens, the kingdoms of the heavens have descended into your personal space. And he will empower you by his spirit to live differently. Let's pray together. Dean, if you'll just begin. We're, you know, you can look at your wife all you want. You can look at your mother and you can blame your parents. And there have been atrocities committed against some of us. I understand that. But there's only one prescription that will heal the troubled soul and that's the blood of Jesus. It's when we look to Him and simply allow Him into our personal space. He heals and He restores. Would you join me just in a few moments of silence? You deal with God as the Holy Spirit leads you this morning as we close with this final song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the
stand and worship. We'll be dismissed in just a moment. Perhaps you want to come forward and kneel. Perhaps you've done business with the Lord where you are and you want somebody just to seal that in prayer. I'm going to invite our ministry team and elders and spouses if you've come forward. And we'd love to pray with you. Maybe today's your day to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been holding on to certain aspects of your heart and your rights and your will. And you're saying, today, God, I want to be done with it. I want your kingdom to begin to reign. The invitation is for you to come as we close in worship this morning again. bless you. Have a wonderful day today. If you'd like special prayer, we'll linger here. We'll just worship for a few more minutes. God bless you. Have a great day.